Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. And welcome back to another sizzling episode of Because Money. My name is Kyle Prevo, and with me as always are Sandy Martin and Jackson Middleton. We're joined this week by Chris Enns from the site Rags to Reasonable. Chris is writing and surpassed only by his Trudeau-esque good looks and angelic opera voice. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Chris. Today we're talking, we're talking generational warfare, who had it harder, and why we might need to adjust our metrics and perspective because that argument is only slightly insane. So, Chris, <laughs> we chatted a little bit a couple weeks ago just about how... A different lifestyle doesn't necessarily need to be worse or better when compared to those that came before. It can be maybe just as rewarding in a different way. Is that uh, sort of characterize what we were chatting about? It totally is. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think that sometimes the conversation gets really dumbed down. Sorry, simplified. And you start to look at just a few different metrics to determine what you want your life to look like. And I think the conversation around money is a big one, you know. If you have a net worth of blank, if you are making blank, then you will then you will be living, you know, a, a fulfilling life when really that's not connected or doesn't necessarily have to be connected, you know. People want different kinds of lives financially the needs of every one of those lives is different. So why don't we start with the question of, you know, that and then build in the, um, the financial needs after instead of in reverse. And and I guess why we thought Chris would be a great guy to talk about this, maybe just talk a little bit about your background, Chris, because it's kind of unique as far as personal finance bloggers go. Yeah, I am not in a field that generally is known for its money wisdom. Uh, I grew up on a farm in uh, Manitoba. So Kyle and I have that Manitoba connection. Um, All the best people come from Manitoba and then (laughs) a lot of them leave. But uh, (laughs) I kind of fell into an opera career randomly. People ask me how that happened and I don't really know, but it happened. And somehow I've spent the last 10 years um, training and studying and singing opera. Artists don't have the best rap as far as, uh, you know, financial know-how. And that's earned on a certain extent, and at the same kind of, um, and at the same time, it's it's something that uh, I think we get we get some bad press. The starving artist is an easier thing to to sell than, you know, the veteran actor who pays off their mortgage. You know, it's less <laughs> of a sexy headline. <laughs> but uh, I came to it basically the way you would think by doing everything wrong, and everything like I knew nothing about money, and just started to do it wrong. Not epically, but just by making a thousand little mistakes that end up with end up with uh, CRA calling and telling you that apparently you have to, you know, pay all the taxes, um, which you <laughs> which can't no avoid. One deducted apparently, from everybody your check. has to do that. And no one which deducted, nobody deducted from, from my you, check. Right, exactly, and nobody kind of explained that. And so then I started to look at it, and I started to learn about um, kind of the nitty gritties of it, and I randomly fell in love with uh, with personal finance and have just kind of really uh, developed a passion for how these little basics and how learning a few things about money, how money works, how money can be structured, can really be freeing. Even in a lifestyle where, admittedly, my goal is not to be rich. I don't really care about amassing a huge net worth. 
I'm really interested in building up enough money and a structure that can support the lifestyle that I've chosen. You know, but the basics are the same. It doesn't matter what the goal is. The basics are the same. It's watching what you have. It's making sure that you're investing in a broader sense, not just investing in the sense that, you know, in the market, in, in ways that you can grow over the long term, but how do you want to invest your money in the short term? How do you want to invest your time in the short term? And how, you know, that benefits, I think one of the, the, the conversations that really we start limiting on is the fact that benefits are so much more than financial, right? You know, like the things that you get out of an investment of time and money you can't just limit that to, oh, I got a 6% return, you know, oh, I got a 10% return. It's like, you, you're not just building a net worth, you're building a life. And I think that's one thing you want to talk about generational warfare. I think that's one of the things that really characterizes the millennial generation. You know, we're interested in trying to find different ways to build our lives because certain avenues have been closed to us. Although I would say, I think probably if we could put ourselves 40 years into the past, I imagine that our parents, I mean, I mean, if it's even worthwhile to segregate people into silos based on when they were born, like, oh, you were born in this silo, so therefore you're this type yeah. of person, but probably everybody, when they really think about their own personal situation, is thinking about... I want to find meaning in my life, and and it just so happened maybe that it kind of an easy shorthand is in the past it usually looked like or often looked like a career with a pension, and then you know you found it kind of in other ways. We have the opportunity. We have more tools, I would say, in the internet connected generation. Right? We have more tools. We have different ways of doing that. So whether those things are gone or they died because of this, you know, new generation coming up. Um, I think it's an opportunity rather than it's something to bemoan. Yeah, well, I mean, 100%. like when you look at the raw facts of this, there's there's really no debate uh, about sort of the raw monetary facts and the cost of things, and, and I've had many uh, of these debates that I'm sure have changed a lot of minds uh, with, with boomer uh, relatives and friends. And look, if your path to success is defined as sort of a... a getting a minimal level of education to get into a corporate job <laughs> and purchasing a house, uh, it's, it's, it's much harder. There, there's no denying this. Like it's, especially if you live in one of Canada's urban centers, it's an order of magnitude exponentially more difficult than it was in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but would I trade any of that difficulty for not having the internet? Not on your life, I wouldn't. I, might, I, wouldn't, I, I would be like, um, oh, what's that ridiculous movie with blue guys and they have that connection to animals? Um, Got like everyone in the world saw it. Avatar. 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 And they have like that connection to nature. I feel like that connection is like the internet for me. Like I'm hooked, I'm mainframe to it. And I didn't even grow up with a cell phone. So if that's me, I can't even imagine like today's generation's like living in the matrix. They don't have a connection to it. Yeah. They're actually just seeing the world in ones and zeros. I don't know. But I wouldn't trade it. So that's like lifestyle versus you 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 have to judge it's hard to judge apples and oranges, and if you judge each generation by the current generation's metrics, you're like, oh, man, your life was brutal. Like, it, it, it just <laughs> doesn't add up. <laughs> so is it even... So So one of the things that sparked this this kind of conversation, or this is a continuation of a previous conversation, is we were all... we were Many of us were at a conference 
last week, and Rob Carrick, who, of course, our listeners probably are familiar with at the Globe and Mail, stood up, and as the very first address of the conference was Rob talking about what he would like personal finance writers to pay attention to, and one of them was, and I, I really respect Rob, but this is not like a, you know, Rob Carrick is wrong kind of episode, but one of the things he said was we need to pay attention to the fact that people need to write more about the fact that millennials have it worse off than previous generations. Um, and so, so I was just, I mean, one of the questions I had, and I think maybe we're just going to think through out loud, is do, is it even worth spending, paying, paying attention to that when, you know, as writers or as people who give advice, is our advice supposed to be, hey, you young people, you have it worse off because you have lower incomes and you have higher stand, you know, costs of living and you don't have a defined benefit pension plan, so you should, you should kind of, orient your life in ways to kind of create those things for yourself. That that's the, the goal is to have those, even though they're not really around, the goal is to have something like those because that's the standard. Is it even a productive conversation to advise people in that direction? I don't know, is it? I'm going to just say no. I don't know. Like, from my experience, I mean, my dad was a railroader, teamster. I mean, 30 years as a locomotive engineer. Man's man. <laughs> Absolutely. He went to work. He worked hard. I mean, my dad was a great example of what it was to be that. And then to have his, like, I remember the day when he realized that I'm not normal. And what is normal? Normal to him is go out, get a job, work hard, get a pension, and be done with it. I mean, he's retired now, living off on an island somewhere, and it's perfect for him. He's got his pension. It'll always be in his bank. I... I make my living building websites on the internet on the side of a mountain as we homeschool our kids, and I work in my underwear. That is just not even close to being in my dad's previous frame of reference. It's just, it's not even, and you can't say one is better than the other, although I prefer my life over railroading. I mean, he did what he had to. I mean, I work on the internets for a living. It's great, but I think it's different. Now, I'm just going to go to the Rob Carrick point. The reason Rob wants people talking about that is because that creates conflict, and that's what media does. I mean, to just say the two are different, well, that's boring. But to say, well, let's pit one against each other, generational warfare like we started, oh, now we've got controversy. Now we can talk about it. Anyways, those are my thoughts on the I, subject. I think, I think it's uh, – I agree uh, with, with, uh, and with the awesome analogy that Jackson just threw out there. I just, I just picture, like, he and his dad working beside each other, like, juxtaposed. It's like Rocky on one side, and then there's, like, Jackson, like, building super cool aesthetic websites. Um, but, yeah. So I think it's important, and I think what Rob's doing is important uh, because for two reasons. I think, one, he's really trying to help millennials, uh, and if we try to take the same path as our parents, we either have to do it really, really smart or we're going to crash and burn. So in other words, if you just go to school for the sake of going to school, I mean, we've had this conversation before, you're gonna, it's, it's going to end badly for you uh, if, if you don't have sort of that financial luxury of, of um, scholarships or parental help. And if you just buy a house and are like, yeah, whatever, buy the most house I can afford, uh, just like your parents maybe did uh, by the same sort of common sense advice your parents got, you're going to crash and burn. Uh, it's gonna, you're going to be house poor forever till you're 65 or 70 if you look at the modern uh, way of doing it. So I think he inadvertently maybe is trying to, to change that frame of reference. And I think the other thing Rob does really well is uh, he's just trying to wake up the generation that's like kicking at millennials all the time, being like, shut up and work harder, go get a railway job. 
and he's trying to tell him like, look, that won't work. Uh, there's not enough railway jobs. Number one, and number two, they're all, they all have a university degree that they're in debt for, and they don't want to go work a railway job because no one told them how this whole money thing works. So I think he's doing good things. Um, but you're right, Sandy. Just sort of bemoaning, just constantly throwing the stats out there, like. Yeah, you're not going to be able to afford as many things on on the same salary because wages have stagnated. It it doesn't really serve any purpose, uh, constructive purpose, by in and of itself. I don't think. What do you figure, Chris? I think that you know, it's Jackson's completely right about you know sensationalism is is something we love, and it's also something that you know Kyle's a basketball fan just like I am, you know, and they're constantly talking about could Jordan beat LeBron. You know, who had it tougher? You know, the 70s Lakers or the current, you know, Warriors? It's like people love to take different generations and imagine what would happen if they were in the same sphere. And it's like it's a fun comparison, but at the same time it's it's not useful because at the same time, like, you play the game that's in front of you. You know, that's what players in the NBA are doing, and that's really what we're doing all the time. It's like you can only play the cards that you're dealt. And so... This is where I think that the problem is is that, because I think that Rob is really trying and doing really well. He's talking to millennials, one of the few people that are in the mainstream media, but he's also trying to educate another generation, right? And so there's twofold. So you've got the the kind of um, statement that they have it harder than we did or they have it harder than you think they did is really valuable for boomers to hear. But it's not valuable for millennials to hear. Because I really think that the way you frame a conversation is, it, it, it really echoes in how people act. And when you have a financial literacy problem, or at least a, not a huge amount of financial literacy, and you constantly are hearing as a millennial, things are harder for you, things are tough, you can really build up a victim uh, mentality. And like this is something that I, I talk about all the time in the arts, because the arts, especially the classical arts, are changing like crazy. You know, the you know funding is decreasing, audiences are decreasing, and we're really having to invent our, reinvent ourselves as an industry. So you can, on one hand, sit on the side and you can say, I'm a victim, everything's changing, there's nothing I can do. Or you can say, exactly like Kyle was saying, look, I have the ability as a single artist, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, to connect to anybody in the world. I don't need big organizations to create those connections for me. I have so many more tools, but I need to use them in a completely unique way. So it's the negativity of that one argument, as useful it is for the boomers, is I think it's really detrimental to having in, in the millennial brain um, because it can, it can drag you back. It can keep you from saying, I have so many tools, I have so many opportunities, and I have so much education what am I going to do with it? Instead of things are way tougher on me, I'll never gain wealth through the housing market, I'll never gain wealth this way, how will I ever get ahead? How will I ever build the stability that my parents built? Um, and that should be the question that we're asking. How do we build stability in this new job market? It's not going to be through the same, just the same, uh, the same uh, channels. So how do you do it? Not it can't be done, but how is it done? Oh, that is so super awesome. <clears throat> Sandy, Sandy Standard chime in line. I really love that so much. So, so 
But so it, it, when you're talking about the victim mentality, and I don't know if you guys kind of remember this as being sort of irritating. You know, when you know, in the past five years, kind of just post financial crisis, and in those kind of years immediately afterwards, people would talk about in this economy and on and kind of on Main Street. And I don't, I don't mean journalists necessarily, yeah. although of course nope. that got picked up in the way that you don't like Jackson. But you know, you'd have regular conversations with people, and they would say, "Well, it's the economy," and you think, "Well, yeah, but it's the, the economy isn't." you know, one monolithic thing where, you, yes, as you're saying, Kyle, you can point out facts about it. Well, here's the job rate and here's the whatever debt-to-income ratio or whatever. Those are true facts, but it doesn't say anything about your own particular set of circumstances and opportunities yeah. and values. You still have to navigate whatever those things happen to be. Yeah. There's nothing you can do to change them. There's no knob and dial that you can turn and say, well, I want the economy to look like this. Now, beep, boop, 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 and then it's done. You just have to deal with what you're dealing with. And I wish yeah. that was a conversation more often. I love conversations about the economy. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a little bit in over-hype drive about this right now because the election and everyone – it's the economy, stupid, and everyone quotes uh, you know, Bill Clinton. And I think the line actually originated <laughs> with one of his um, – with one of his advisors, uh, James Carville, I think it was. But anyway, like it's it's insane. The, it's it's like talking about the middle class, and the middle class is, ev is everyone from earns thirty grand a year to two hundred fifty grand a year. And the economy. I mean, you open up an economics one hundred one book. Um, most people, that's not what they think of in the economy. The economy to most people is their job, their job, and maybe their commute to work, and maybe their wife or brother's job. That's it. That is the whole economy to most people. So to say, like, the economy is doing bad, are you talking about the world economy? <laughs> the world economy is doing actually superb relative to 50 or 60 years ago. Way more people are earning, can eat meat once a week than could 60 years ago. If you're looking at a world, are you talking about a Canadian economy? Because I can tell you the economy of Bertle, Manitoba is vastly different than Toronto, Ontario, uh, and which is vastly different from the Maritimes. So what are you referring to when you say the economy? Right, and you make these broad statements about the economy for millennials and the economy for baby boomers, and now we're throwing in all sorts of like preconceived stereotypes that really have no relevance to anyone's situation. Could yeah. agree more. Add the housing market to that one. I'm adding. Yes, that's part of it. Yeah. The Canadian housing market. What? <laughs> it's there actually no just Toronto. That's it. It's economy, <laughs> yeah, housing market. It's local. It is. It's about yeah. Anyways. Housing. Yeah, exactly. Come to Gravenhurst and buy a house, and then talk about the housing market. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the housing market. I that's another one that uh, just just blows me. I'm talking about millennials in the housing market. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll save that for for another day, Chris. But maybe but maybe even that is a, is an interesting sort of flashpoint in terms of like Chris. Uh, obviously, with your career, you're likely going to live in major urban centers for as long as you are pursuing your career. Uh, what do you think about buying a house? Like, is is it? We look at it differently than our parents did, do we not? I I'm gonna kind of answer your question, but kind of not. Just because it, when you guys were talking, it it just these are all the things that we talk about when we talk about finance, right? And we talk about the market, we talk about the housing market, we talk about the economy, and I. I think you're exactly right. Like my economy is my job and my specific industry. And the thing is, is that like I'm a big fan of you can't control. Like, why are you worrying about all things you can't control? Like, I grew up on a farm, and this is like classic farm wisdom. Yes, it's like my favorite. You can kind. be the best farmer in the world and never and never have a crop. 
Like, the weather happens. There's so much that's out of your control. So, like, you do the 10% that you can and, you know, what come, you know, and stop worrying about the rest of it. It's like, we, I think that all of these topics are generally distractions. And I think that they're generally things that you can talk in circles about and avoid actually coming to the, like, real question of personal finance, which is what life do I want to build? What life do I want to build? And then worry about how. But then you have, like, an end to these different markets. So it's like, if I want to build a life that, you know, if I want to build an urban life, then I have to figure out some way to solve an urban housing problem. If I want to build a life in the country, but my work is in this in, in cities, I need to figure out how to solve that problem. But it's ridiculous to try to jump into all of these issues for yourself. You know, I think that, like, we all like to talk about, about the general issues and different issues that different people have because it's interesting to us. But on a personal level, like, that's completely overwhelming for somebody that doesn't really care about this stuff and it isn't interested in this, what people are interested in is their own lives. And I don't mean that in a selfish way because I don't think that's just a millennial thing. I think, like Sandy said, boomers 40 years ago were trying to figure out how to make a life just the same way and with the tools that were in front of them. So it's like the question at the heart of it all is like what it is values. It is like what are my values? And how do I want to fulfill them with a financial kind of uh, focus? You know, how does money help me get this? What kind of investments do I need to make to have this? You know, not just, uh, it, it's a completely distractionary kind of topic to talk about more and to talk about gaining wealth and to talk about solving the economy. And it's like, these are beyond my pay grade. Like, I don't know how to solve the economy. Are you kidding me? Like, I sing opera. I like that it should be the last thing that I'm ever talking about but I can talk about how um if the grassroots of a business like especially a business that's predicated on uh, contractors and freelancers is solid financially personal like on a personal basis they're way more solid the industry will be stronger at least I think so the industry can't help but be stronger because you have people that aren't desperately trying to fill jobs you have a powerful grassroots and in my specific industry, I think that that would be really beneficial. Every industry is different. I don't know what's best for, you know, other industries. And and that's not really something that, you know, there's too many things to think about. Like, it's just, that's a big difference between, you know, that's between the millennials and, and other generations. We have so many options. And that's an amazing power and it's an amazing privilege. But it's also completely overwhelming. And you have a constantly this word, this mantra in your head being like, you should be this, and you should be this, and you should be this. And it's like, you can't do all those things. It's impossible. Pick some things and know that you are responsible for building your life. You know, you can't expect to sit around and have a company, you know, get a job for 40 years and have a company provide your stability. Figure out how to find it. You know, you are responsible for building that. And you have the tools to do it. It's just, it's just... You know, it's just hard. Yeah. But not hard, impossible. Just hard, it takes a lot of work. It's hard because the default is so strong. Because, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. and not everybody's family default is, or your life circumstance default is the same, but the people that you ran into in yeah. your town when you were growing up, or what your parents said, or what your grandparents said, or your Uncle Bill, or whatever that is, it forms this paradigm yeah. that I should, that what you're saying, I should do this, I should do this, I should do this. And if you don't get a wake-up call from wherever that's going to come from to say, stop for one minute, 
just examine the things that you yeah. are defaulting to and think about what you really want. If everybody could just spend, it doesn't mean that it would, you know, you know, if you if you spend a lot of time navel gazing, that suddenly you're going to be successful in your finances. But no, but it's still a worthwhile activity. And if we had, like, if I had one general piece of advice for everybody, <laughs> it would be spend, nice. some, time, spend some time navel gazing. <laughs> so that's useful. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, it is. And, it is useful. And if you judge your success by a previous generation's metrics. Uh, or, or even, I guess, uh, to put it in the reverse by the current generation's metrics, if you're a boomer, um, like, if owning your own home is the definition of success, and certainly was at one point, because I know my dad tells me stories of, like, if you were a young man and you didn't own your own home, you were not fit to marry. Like, that was the, like, prevailing wisdom. Yeah. Like, you could not financially support a family. You were not ready to go. Yeah. And so if you, you know, um, judge yourself by that metric, one, you're going to make... Um, sort of inefficient, uh, non-ideal choices for yourself, especially in an urban environment where, hey, don't take it from me. Take it from uh, a neuroscientist named Preet Banerjee. Uh, you should be renting. Uh, and that's a hard concept for people to sort of wrap their head around because, again, the traditional success was own a home. And so you may never own a home and be quite successful and actually be better off personally uh, in just the values and in a money sense, both. Uh, but then you have to throw away that other set of paradigms and like Chris says, live according to your own values, solve your own problems in, in a modern context. Don't just say, well, housing values went up, I'll never own a home. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more because I'm right there right now. I've owned a home since, you know, pretty much eight. My brother dropped out of high school, got a job at the <laughs> airport, and bought his first home when he was 17 before he actually could. <laughs> like, for real. He, so we home ownership has always been there. And now I've got a family, I've got a wife and four kids, and we're renting. And it's funny because we tell people we're renting. It's like, oh. And, and, you, and you were <laughs> in mortgages. And you were renting. Yeah. And I was a mortgage broker for seven years. But right now I just That's looked awesome. at it and I said, this doesn't make sense for me to own a home. I like where we're at. I like the freedom. I don't fix things. I've got a broken toilet and a, a broken fireplace. My landlord's coming tomorrow morning to fix them. That is pure... That is awesome for me. But again, it goes back to what you guys were saying about I did. I took a good hard look at my life and said, what do I want it to be? I didn't want to work as a mortgage broker out in an office 16 hours a day. I wanted to be a dad to my kids. I wanted to work at home. So I figured out a way that I could do that. We rent and we love it. We're, we're having the time of our life because we actually said, what do we want? And we actually went out and got it. And it's kind of fun. <laughs> I, and I think that that's the conversation that so often needs to be actually talked about more. More people having, hearing stories of why renting can be great and the benefits. You know, people throw out this insane simplification of when you're renting, you're throwing your money away. You're paying someone else's mortgage. Like, I just had a conversation with this yesterday with somebody being like, well, that's the stupidest thing you can do. And you're like, I'm investing in the fact that I can leave tomorrow and take a job in another country and I have no strings. I'm investing in flexibility which my career demands and which my lifestyle uh, which I want you know like that's that's a huge that's completely worth what I pay which is a lot less than I would pay if I had a mortgage you know yeah yeah so 
don't judge yourself by a previous generation or anyone else's standards, and you'll be okay whether you're a boomer or a millennial. Uh, <laughs> I love how this turned into like a philosophical like Zen advice uh, session <laughs> as much as like a, a finance one. Um, keep your numbers, economists. We've got lifestyle uh, Zen on our side, baby. So, Chris, tell us a little more about Rags. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Tell us a little more about Rags to Reasonable and, and where we can find you online. You can find me at Rags to Reasonable, and uh, I really, it's, I'm sorry, I probably pulled the conversation into a little bit of a more of a zen way. It, it really is what happens when you ask an artist to talk about finance. I love the numbers, but the thing that really fascinates me, and this things that I write about all the time, is is how the personal side comes into it. And, and when you add people to money, it becomes a lot more complicated, but in a really beautiful way. And that money can be this really... <laughs> amazing tool for you to live a beautiful life um, on not less money, you know? How to take a little and make make a, make a wonderful life and not not the idea that you always need more and that's the thing that's going to get you there. It's that if you just take what you have and you learn to use it differently and efficiently, um, you can really make something really special and that's that's what I believe and that's what I write about. You can find me on um, my website at www.ragsreasonable.com or on Facebook or Twitter and uh, yeah. Check out Chris's site. I think it's one of the most uh, unique personal finance sites out there. It's also uh, Jackson Middleton, no less of an authority than he, has said that it's a beautiful looking aesthetic. It's a good looking site. site. It is. It is. It's really well done. I love the images. I mean it's, it's very engaging. You've got a very engaging awesome. website and it's not cluttered, it's very organized, yeah, top, top So there you shelf. go, and it even looks good on one of those millennial smartphone things, all you kids are on these days. Tablet <laughs> device. So that's another episode in, in the hopper for uh, Because Money. Thanks once again to Chris Enns, Jackson, Middleton, and Sandy Martin. I'm Kyle Frebo. Have a nice week. Thanks, Chris. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship. Be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.